think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel that you do not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now is your chance to, uh, well, we've warned you. Welcome everyone to another episode of Magnificent. I am your host and with me today is uh, a person who has come on the show uh, once before. It was for Father's Day. That's right. It is Father Sims and we are here with uh, a Halloween spooky kind of another um, idea of an episode. Uh, This one I've been bragging about to anybody that would listen uh, about how interesting you know, horror movie characters are and the origin and also, you know, comparing them to the ugliness and the brutal violence and everything like that of serial killers. And actually some horror characters are based off of actual uh, serial killers. So uh, with that being said, uh, dad, there's actually a fun fact here that I have for you. And uh, have you heard of the uh, horror movie character Chucky? Yes. Okay. So did you know that Chucky is based off of Robert the Doll? I didn't know that. That's unique. So Robert the Doll, do you know anything about Robert the Doll? No, I'm a guy. I don't play with dolls. Okay. So uh, pretty much Robert the Doll is this cursed doll that if you mock him if you do anything bad things will happen to you ozzy osbourne actually him and his son jack went and saw uh uh, robert the doll and uh after that ozzy was like oh it's because of that damn robert he's giving me bad luck and jack's like no dad it's because just things happen to you that's it Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know but uh ozzy osbourne has met robert the doll but you have to be respected you can't take you know photos or anything like that you have to you know pretty much ask permission and be like all right robert thank you for you know this visit and everything like that just so you can be in his good graces and he can't curse you and stuff like that oh good yeah so um as of now i don't know where he's located he might be in the zach bagans uh haunted house which is in vegas but who knows yeah he's probably getting paid millions oh yeah for a doll for a cursed doll i mean mm-hmm. the origins of it is the fact that uh this doll uh was uh a curse or some voodoo kind of thing by this boy's nanny who is like a voodoo kind of witch and cursed the doll and pretty much has like a soul in it and stuff like that so it's kind of creepy okay but enough with the paranormal we're here because you're a former forensic uh science teacher uh you would do this uh experiment with serial killers to your students and we kind of talked on off air uh about you know what made you kind of come up with that idea for your students to like look up different Uh, serial killers yeah it wasn't uh wasn't an experiment it was a project it was a research project that they had to do and dealing with the world of forensic science uh you need to get a, a full perspective of things and that was one of the things that uh the guy that i worked with um and i decided that the kids or the students would enjoy 
And sure enough, they did. They really took off and uh, found lots of interesting things and and things that uh, are morbid about the individuals. And you've done your own kind of research a little bit, um, like with uh, Ted Bundy and, you know, kind of like just other knowledge on like on your own for your own kind of interest. Yeah. I've watched the videos and Netflix things and stuff and, you know, kind of delve into a little bit here and there. I don't know, uh, all the individuals obviously, but, uh, you know, but the main ones that are notorious, I guess, notorious. Yeah. Gacy Bundy, you know, um, Ramirez and BTK and, you know, uh, Kemper and all the, all the interesting guys there. Okay. So, uh, but one thing we need to say before we move forward though, is during this programming, we are not attempting to even mortalize or give recognition in a positive way to the serial killers that we are going to compare to. It is not something that we want to embellish as being great it's not so uh we just decided to do this and come up with comparisons of of these things we are not at all uh trying to make them heroes or anything like that so i hope the public knows that yeah exactly i mean these guys have done some horrible horrible things and um usually i don't talk about this kind of stuff on uh this uh show but um because it's halloween and for the spirit of halloween most people you know watch different true crime stuff like that and as well as horror movies but it would be interesting to see the comparison of the horror movie character to the serial killer but yes like my dad said we are not highlighting or pretty much saying like what they did was was a good thing because that is far from it so but with that being said i say we might as well just jump right into it uh i wrote something down here so monsters sell books monsters sell movies and sadly real monsters have and still do walk among us it's not until it's too late we see them for what they truly are so with our first uh, horror movie monster we are going to start with Dracula. So in real life, there was a real Dracula, Vlad Dracula, who was a sadistic leader ruling in Transylvania, uh, Wallachia, uh, which is now Romania. He's famously known for torturing his foes. He would end up killing more than 80,000 people in his lifetime, a large percentage of them uh, by impalement. Uh, giving him the nickname Vlad the Impaler. Uh, Bram Stoker uh, would write a novel in 1897, later becoming a movie in in 1992 with a star-studded cast with the likes of Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder, and Gary Oldman as Count Dracula. Uh, The first ever sight of a vampire on the big screen was in 1922. Uh, The film was Nosferatu. But the most famous portrayal of the vampire was by Bela Lugosi in the 1931 film Dracula. And here's a little clip from that movie. I am Dracula. 
Uh, many films after have had this uh, iconic character as the main role. The vampire has also been an iconic theme in movies like Blade in 1998, the 1987 film The Lost Boys, and the Twilight series, and the most recent film Renfield in 2023, starring Nicolas Cage. Now, Dad, who do we have uh, as the Dracula or the vampire character. Well, he was nicknamed the vampire of Sacramento uh, simply because he had killed six people in the uh, Bay area. Uh, He was known to be a cannibal, a necrophiliac, and he would drink his victim's blood. So thus he got the name vampire of Sacramento. Okay. And, um, was there any more like information of like other than drinking the blood of his victims of why he was known as the vampire? Not really that I saw. Um, and, uh, you know, he was, uh, like I said, a cannibal. And so part of that was cutting the bodies up and then, uh, you know, just simply drinking the blood. Yeah. Um, next we're going on to, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, originally an 1818 novel written by Mary Shelley, which would later become a film in 1931. The novel and movie follow a scientist that creates life to a creature also known as Frankenstein's monster, feeling the power of what it is like to be God. And here's a little clip from that movie. And the monster would be played by classic horror actor Boris Karloff. The Frankenstein name has stood iconic in pop culture, creating multiple spinoffs like Bride of Frankenstein in 1935, the 1939 film Son of Frankenstein, and 1974's uh, spoof on the horror classic Young Frankenstein starring Gene Wilder. Now, we are not talking about the monster. We're talking about Dr. Frankenstein. My dad and I have gone back and forth all throughout this process of why pick Frankenstein? Why pick Dr. Frankenstein? Well, uh, mainly is because um, Dr. Frankenstein had this godlike complex and he although created life some serial killers like as doctors have a godlike complex in the other standpoint now who do we have as the frankenstein comparison well what i've been given was dr h h holmes and dr jack kevorkian and there was one other that we talked about uh i don't agree with either Kevorkian or Holmes because both of those doctors took lives. They didn't create life like Dr. Frankenstein did. Um, One other thing, the other spoof that you uh, left out was a short running sitcom known as the Munsters that had Herman Munster, who is uh, in the form of Frankenstein. Of course. So, uh, but anyway, uh, not being in agreement because the doctors that uh, we have down here were taking many lives dr frankenstein giving life 
to this creature. So I don't know where the comparison comes in, but you had somebody else that you had mentioned. Yeah, it was uh, Dr. Walker Freeman. Uh, his practice was from 1930 to 1960. And I read here, it says his eccentric appearance, engaging personality during interviews and theatrical demonstrations of his surgical techniques gained him substantial popularity with local and national media. And he performed more than 3,000 Pro, uh, prefrontal and transorbital lobotomies and again those are between 1930 and 1960 and you had mentioned what was it the fda yeah but there, there's other organizations that go along with that that you know yes you can do experimentative things but you can't do them on humans yeah so. and mainly he he the lobotomy was already created and pretty much you would have to cut open the head and, you know, get in there and all that fun stuff. But uh, Dr. Freeman had come up with this idea of just going underneath the eye and then taking uh, a pretty much a knife or something like that and just cutting pretty much just going up there and just cutting mm -hmm. and seeing what would happen. Now, one of the I would say probably most famous successes slash uh, devastations was when he worked on one of the Kennedy uh, daughters, uh, one of uh, John F. Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy's sisters. And um, so the uh, Mr. Kennedy had brought his daughter in and said, she's, you know, she's doing stuff weird. It was pretty much normal girl stuff, I guess. But mm. knowing how Mr. Kennedy was and how kind of egotistical he was and everything like that, Pretty much wanted it taken care of. So the doctor said, yeah, absolutely, we can do that. So he does it. After the surgery, she's fine. And then afterwards, she starts to go on a downhill spiral. They end up putting her into a mental institution. And his and Mrs. Kennedy and every, everybody doesn't see the daughter. And she's pretty much never to be heard from again. Um, now, there are also different stories of how he's uh after surgery like they don't uh, live longer than a couple of hours they've also um they've also uh had successes to where they live long healthy lives but this guy had a big big ego and he had the godlike complex of he could heal anybody he could cure the brain of anybody but nowadays lobotomies do not happen because of this core reason. Right. So um, we now go on to another doctor, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Based off of the 1886 novel, uh, this 1931 film tells the story of a mild-mannered doctor of science that takes a potion he creates from a, form, from a new formula that can unleash people's inner demons and turns into a homicidal maniac. The tale has been carried on in movies throughout time, such as Abbott and Costello meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde in 1953, Van Helsing in 2004, starring uh, Hugh Jackman. And there's also a song that is called Jekyll and Hyde by Five Finger Death Punch, which I a, enjoy tremendously uh it gets me pumped up in the gym i love it uh who do we have as dr jackal and mr hyde 
Well, as I totally agree with this one, it's Harold Shipman. Uh, he was a good guy to his patients, mainly elderly patients. He would be nice to them, take them in, give them what they needed as far as care goes, and then he would brutally kill them. So uh, it fits the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde scenario um, to a T almost because he plays good person to get them interested in him and then bad person when he takes their life. And do you feel like, of course, he doesn't take a potion or anything like that because that's more Hollywood like, um, but definitely like the, you know, good, sweet, kind hearted, well mannered kind of guy. And then once once he gets them into like into his grabs, he turns into this homicidal maniac. Is what you're saying? Well, actually, I think it's it's more of with a lot of these serial killers their mo their their way of being is they're a little bit a little bit off in a lot of different ways <clears throat> um multiple personality disorder and schizophrenia and you know things that happened in their childhood abuse neglect and so on and so forth leading then into substance abuse sexual violence and so on now do you know any backstory behind shipman of why he became what he became no okay. no all righty well then we will go on to the invisible man originally in night in 1897 novel written by hg wells have you heard of hg wells dad yes famous author uh he would tell uh or he would later become the or the story would later become a film in 1933 the novel and movie followed the character of Dr. Jack Griffin, who is a scientist who becomes invisible after the results of a secret experiment. Griffin would end up turning uh, psychotic, going on a murderous rampage. The Invisible Man character has had multiple spinoffs as The Invisible Man returns in 1940. The 1944 film The Invisible Man uh the Invisible Man's Revenge, as well as Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man in 1951 and the uh, Invisible Man in 2020. And also David Spade plays the Invisible Man uh, as Griffin in the Hotel Transylvania series. So have you seen the Hotel Transylvania films at all? Is that the cartoon thing? That's the cartoon one with all yeah. Adam Sandler and his yeah. buddies and everything. Yes. I I personally say the the old school monster characters work really well in that kind of um, movie series, but um, you know, definitely the Invisible Man, known as Griffin, has been iconic throughout uh, the years. Uh, who do we have for the Invisible Man? Well, the Invisible Man, we have down two: the Zodiac Killer and Jack the Ripper. Starting with Jack the Ripper, uh, because he was from so many years ago, uh, never caught, uh, was believed to have been seen in alleyways and so on and so forth, but there was never an identity to that. And the Zodiac Killer also never caught, not visible, um, so basically becoming invisible. Okay. And... 
Um, Jack the Ripper was in London, correct? Yes. Okay. And the Zodiac Killer was where exactly? Was it in California or something like that? I want to say that. Yeah. I mean, I can look it up fast. Yeah, go for it. But, I mean, with the whole invisible part of it, like, because they were never caught, that makes sense to where nobody could, nobody knew anything. Uh, And, I mean, the Zodiac Killer played games with the police, right? Northern California. Ah, yeah. And, but the Zodiac Killer wasn't, wasn't it the Zodiac Killer that would send to multiple news media as well as uh, the police with oh, yeah. different letters oh, yeah. and stuff yeah, like yeah. that? Yep. And puzzles and, and all kinds of stuff. Trying to have the police either A, get blown off the trail, or B, bring them closer to. That's part of the thrill of that with the Zodiac Killer. But Now, as a multiple of these serial killers, they would end up being caught. These guys mm-hmm. never got caught. And mainly the reason why serial killers get caught is because they get sloppy. Well, yes, but you also have to understand that most of them are highly intelligent individuals. And they only get caught when they're ready to get caught. They make a mistake, sometimes on purpose, sometimes because they're off their game. Uh, but most of the time it's because they purposely want to just stop. At least that's what I've seen in the research I've looked at. Okay. And clearly it's it seems like Jack the Ripper or the Zodiac Killer either just stopped on their own or they yeah. cuz you know. Well, it could be a situation you you with those two you don't know. Maybe they're already dead. Right? You don't know. Maybe they found the piece that was missing in their puzzle and didn't need that anymore because if you look at a lot of serial killers it's based on their need they need to do something they need to do this it's a psychological thing that takes place you know it's just like you know sometimes you need to go to the gym right you have to do it and that just their need is is just different that's all and it's not right but it's different all right and uh, before we go into our first break, we are going to cover the Wolfman. It's time to get our howl on. So the legend of the werewolf character first appeared in ancient Greece and Rome around uh, 2100 BC in philosophical text. The werewolf uh, in German translates to man wolf the legend is if you are bit and not killed by a werewolf you will carry the curse every full moon uh, and you will shape shift into a wolf the way the only way to break the curse is to be shot by a silver bullet the werewolf legend would come to the big screen in 1941 with the film the wolfman starring iconic actor lon cheney jr the Wolfman character would create multiple spinoffs for Universal Studios, such as Frankenstein meets the Wolfman in 1943, Wolfman of London in 1935, and Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein in 1948. In later years, the werewolf character would continue 
to capture pop culture, such as films as An American Werewolf in London in 1981, Teen Wolf in 1985, starring Michael J. Fox, and The Twilight series. Now, those 80s films, have you seen An American Werewolf in London? Have you seen Teen Wolf? Yep, I've seen both of those. In fact, Teen Wolf was very, very popular when I was a senior in high school. Okay. And uh, so when Teen Wolf came out and... Was it during Halloween time that that came out, or was it? Oh, that's that's many, 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 many years ago. <laughs> I just know that it came out. Uh, a lot of things that came with it, um, things like car surfing and and stuff, and uh, you know that's just what that movie brought out. Oh, but. Okay. So, what do we have for the werewolf? Well, after much debate between you and I, uh, I have selected Frederick Heinrich Karl Fritz Harman, uh, who, by the way, is a German, obviously. And as you said, the werewolf coming from the German of Manwolf. Right. And uh, so he actually uh, had the title, the Wolfman, uh, given to him, among two others, the Butcher of Hanover and the Vampire of Hanover. Uh, he would sexually assault, murder, manipul- uh, manipulation, and dismemberment of at least 40, uh, 24, sorry, 24 young boys and men uh, between the uh, years of eight, 1918 and 1924. And uh, I remember you telling me, how, how would he usually kill? Oh, he would uh, literally bite the throats of his victims and uh, he would bite them so hard that it would literally take their esophagus and their windpipe out of their throat area. And then, you know, he would cut them up and displace them in different areas. Gotcha. And uh, so technically, like a wolf, he would bite them and Mm -hmm. yeah, and pretty much do all that. And um with the wolf, I mean, with the wolf man, I mean, of course, he never went on a full moon. It was whenever he had the urge to kill and everything like that. Um, I'm talking about Fritz? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, no, there was nothing in here that said that the moon faces had any phases had anything to do with his behavior. No, it was mainly because he was pretty much how he killed was animal like. Yeah. Yeah, but we're going to take our first quick break and we will come back with zombies. So the origin of the zombie dead, I think you'll find pretty interesting. Uh, granted, we talked about this off here and you said, I don't believe in zombies. Of course, there's not going to be a uh, a certain zombie holocaust. Uh, but supposedly it's a uh, interest. Why does my mic keep wanting to go out? <laughs> I don't you know. hear that? Yeah, I do. I think it's because we're talking about some eerie stuff. So I think it's probably. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm like talking. I'm like, is my mic going out? (laughs) 
Yes, it is. Um, all right. So back to what I was saying, the zombie origin uh, is traced back to voodoo religion in Haiti in the 17th and 18th century. Uh, pop culture would uh, get a hold of the myth and be brought to the big screen in 1968, the year that you were born. Mm -hmm. uh, with the making of Night of the Living Dead, written and directed by George A. Romero. Romero would go on to direct more cult classic zombie films, such as Dawn of the Dead in 1978, Day of the Dead in 1985, and Land of the Dead in 2005. In recent years, there, are other, there have been other movies that have been popular in like Zombieland, the Zombieland series, Shaun of the Dead in 2004, and World War Z in 2013. Uh, over the years, people have thought the end of the world would be a zombie apocalypse and continue to prepare for the myth to be a reality. There is actually a disease called zombie, the, the, zombie, the zombie disease. My tongue wanted to wanted to mess with me there but do you know what the zombie disease is no it's chronic wasting disease or cwd mm. have you heard of that yeah i have actually good uh if you are a outdoorsman or a hunter right yeah. you would know of this it affects uh deer elk reindeer uh sicka deer and moose yeah so probably any bovine yeah so do you know what is the cause of this uh disease no, but I know how it spread. How is it spread? Close contact. Oh, okay. Yeah. So mainly from the noses and everything. Well, yeah. So that's known as the zombie disease. Well, it was a big problem up in the UP uh, several years ago. And uh, I don't think that the DNR have actually said that uh, it's it's gone away completely. So Now, when did that all start? Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of things that were going on with baiting and, and stuff. And, you know, it depends on if you believe the conspiracy or if you believe what actually the scientists are saying. It was bovine tuberculosis was huge in the lower peninsula. And then they started finding deer that were wasting away. Now, there's a big discrepancy. Were they wasting away due to starvation or were they wasting away to this chronic wasting disease? So then they had to do samples and stuff, and they actually did find CWD. Oh, okay. But when it comes to uh, serial killers, who do we have down for the zombie? Well, the one that I chose is uh, Mr. Richard Ramirez, and I use that Mr. very, very loosely. Uh, he was known as the Night Stalker, the Walk-In Killer, and the Valley Intruder, he would literally attack people in their own homes, uh, mainly taking place in California for one year. Uh, he was convicted, sentenced to death in 1989, died in 2013 while awaiting execution. Uh, as we know, the execution process takes a long, long time. Um, the... Richard would pistol whip, strangle, torture, and sexually assault his victims, um, i.e. kind of like a zombie in a way of shaping and forming, except for the pistol whipping. Obviously, that doesn't take place in zombies because they can't hold the pistols. 
Um, the other thing that uh, Ramirez was known for was heavy drug use, which would uh, give him a glassy-eyed appearance and um, make him so he looked zombie-esque. And he would also, um, from w- doing research myself, uh, he, from a young child, he was kind of endured by death. And he had a cousin or an uncle, I forget uh, which one it was. It was a family member that was a Vietnam vet. And he would tell all the horror stories to Richard. And Richard was just intrigued. Yes. And and this, it was actually his older cousin who taught him military skills and all this kind of stuff. And uh, uh, how to do certain things, glorifying the kill, if you will. So... And um, in California, I mean, it was uh, from what I have done research on is uh, that many people were locking up their doors and, you know, pretty much in a uh, zombie apocalypse, people went in hiding. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And people started buying more guns and trying to protect their, you know, families and everything like that to almost like a zombie apocalypse many people would take up arms and everything like that to protect you know their loved ones and stuff like that but i mean R- richard uh in the uh los angeles area brought terror for, oh, yeah, you know, and he, for a whole year he literally publicized it too i mean he didn't care you know but he would attack he would attack his victims with handguns machetes knives uh tire irons claw hammers whatever he get a hold of Right. And, and, um, you know, and the fact that he would, that it made the public so fearful of that a real life monster was roaming the streets at night. No, yeah. Well, especially in Los Angeles, you know. Right. Parts of Los Angeles that he was frequenting was not, uh, the Los Angeles of, of broken down. It was the Los Angeles of prominent beings. So, right. You know, and he ended up at the end, uh, up in San Francisco and pretty much being chased down by a big old mob. Pretty close because they put up his sketch in the news and everybody. And I believe, uh, uh, let's see, it was a, I believe it was a Hispanic area is what it was because I remember, I remember well, it would make from, sense. I mean, Ramirez is Hispanic. Yeah. Well, and uh, what was it? He was walking down the street and this lady recognized him and, and said in Spanish, Zach could probably help out with this one. No problem. <laughs> probably. Being a Spanish uh, teacher um, in, I guess you could say in training right now. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, the lady said, uh, uh, it's him. It's the killer. And then, you know, pretty much the whole community just bonded together and just went after him and yeah. chased him down until he was in, put in custody. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, next one we're going on to is the Boogeyman. Now, everybody has heard of the Boogeyman. Uh, this is uh, a story that has been told years and years and years by different parents. Uh, it's not a real big horror movie character, uh, unless you consider the 2023 film of the same name that is based off the 1973 uh, short film, uh, short story by Stephen King. And uh, I actually have a clip of a certain uh, wrestler that was named the, the Boogeyman. Boogeyman. 
London Bridge is falling down, falling down, falling down. <laughs> I'm the boogeyman, and I'm coming to get you. <laughs> yeah, that guy creeped me out when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, yeah. He also ate, ate night crawlers and... Yeah. Lots of other things. Oh, yeah. Uh, but uh, everyone knows the story of the boogeyman told around campfires or by parents when children misbehave or they want to make sure that their kid stays in bed instead of asking him different questions like, oh, I have a question for you. Oh, I need a glass of water. Oh, I, I had something to tell you. How many times did my brothers and I do that when we were kids, Dad? Only until I didn't want to deal with it anymore. Right. Uh, It is said that the monster uh, was burnt as a child because he didn't listen to his parents. He grabs bad kids and uh, cooks them and eats them. The origin of these stories are from the 15th century, though the boogeyman stories are almost certainly much older. Now, for the guy that we... uh, are comparing to the boogeyman is nicknamed the boogeyman but we won't go into detail uh we'll just give you his name um and uh but mainly it his name's albert fish and he he was a serial killer in the 20s i believe uh but we won't go into full-on detail he was very bad he was very very bad he he um he did a lot of bad things to children and uh if you want to find out different information about albert fitch for your sick pleasure (laughs) you're more than welcome to yeah no kidding but yeah this guy was uh this guy was not a hoot let's just say that and he was not a um life of the party kind of guy but instead this guy uh was a iconic uh horror movie character in the 70s it is none other than the chainsaw-wielding Leatherface. Leatherface was first seen on the big screen in 1974 in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Have you seen that movie, Dad? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to tell you right now, I saw it just recently, and it's not even like like gory film, like a gory film or anything like that. The main fear like behind it is just chaos at absolutely. every turn. Sure. And just just disturbing scenes like just not like just screaming at the top of the lungs of a woman and you know seeing bones scattered everywhere and it's just it's eerie uh but uh one uh an oiking big psychotic killer with a chainsaw chasing down five teens one by one in the same evening in 2003 the origin of the chainsaw wielding monster is that he was born on a slaughterhouse assembly uh, in Fuller, Texas in 1939. Disfigured and unwanted, he he's thrown in the trash before being rescued by a woman who brings him home and names him Thomas Hewitt. The character was inspired by the guy that we're going to compare him to now, Mr. And as my dad said, we're using Mr. Very lightly, uh, Ed Gein. Now, dad, what can you tell us about Ed Gein? 
Well, Ed, Ed's, Ed's an interesting guy. Now, Ed only was convicted of two murders in his lifetime. Suspected of possible seven others. All right. But we will never find that out um, because he died in 1984. Uh but Ed was interesting in the effect that he would go to graveyards or cemeteries as they are properly called. And he would dig up the corpses. He would take the corpses back to his house apartment, wherever he was at. He would take their skin off and then he would take their bones and he would make little charms or utilize them in some way, shape or form, uh, almost like trophy esque. Uh, if you will, um, just uh, a very, very disturbed individual. And uh, he had mommy issues as well. Um, I believe so. As I uh, did a little research, yes, uh, he had that. And, and that's not uncommon with a lot of these individuals with parental issues in their, you know, lifetime. Um but in, in all, now this is the interesting part to look up. It says, uh, but after he died in uh, July 26, 1984, he was buried next to his family in this cemetery, but the grave was never marked. So it Ed was, an, was un, never marked. Nope. On our unmarked grave, because the family said, yes, you can lie him next to us, but he does not have a name anymore. Oh, so he's there, but you won't find his grave. No. Well, the the other interesting part about this one is uh, he actually pled guilty to first degree murder of the two individuals. Um, But uh, this was back when you could plead insanity and actually get away with it. Oh, yeah. It's a little tougher in today's society. So he didn't actually go to prison. He went to a mental institution. So uh, he was never put in actual prison. Oh, I never knew that. I thought he went to prison. Mm-mm. Interesting. And a lot of like horror movie serial killers or horror movie killers are mainly based off of him because of his horrific acts. Oh, yeah. And I mean... Now, have have you seen like the psychological part of it of like why he liked collecting bones and making them as charms and well, I'm guessing like if if there was an issue with his with his mother and stuff, maybe it was the fact where all he had when he was growing up as a kid was things that he made as toys and that kind of stuff. And maybe he had a childhood uh, deficiency there where sometimes he would revert back to his childhood years and he would need to make these toys again and that kind of stuff. Who knows? You know, it's, it's, it's something where it's above my pay grade <laughs> because I am not a psychologist by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, you know, when you start thinking about it, you know, you, you can start throwing your own ideas into it. Anytime you want. Okay. Uh, On to our next horror movie character. We're going to go with uh, the youngest uh, horror movie character. And uh, we will also compare him to the youngest serial killer. But in 1978, the horror movie world is changed forever when Michael Myers 
came on the scene. Created by iconic horror and sci-fi writer and director John Carpenter, Michael Myers is arguably the first of the slasher film genre. His first or or his origin starts in his hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois. In 1963, a 6-year-old Michael murders his teenage sister Judith on Halloween night. 15 years later, he escapes the mental hospital and returning back to his hometown where he stalks a teenage babysitter, Lori. Meanwhile, his psychiatrist, Dr. Loomis, attempts to track him down. The movie has many spin-offs in the Halloween series. It also has different like universes, which I found out. It has it has a uh, Michael Myers uh, universe where it tracks like you know uh, number one, then it goes uh, number three, and that or I'm sorry, not three. Three was just Halloween. Three was just a joke, uh, but it goes like halloween one halloween four and then kind of goes on another way and then it talks about the laurie stroud uh universe where it talks about how laurie is his sister okay and then uh it also talks and then it talks about uh loomis there's a loomis uh one where dr loomis is in every film hmm. so well, i can remember those call coming out and it was like one after the other after the other. After right, the other. right. Well, and you also got to think not all of them were directed by John Carpenter. John Carpenter actually, I believe, and even Rob Zombie came out with uh, two. Right. He came out with Halloween and then Halloween 2, which are definitely Rob Zombie-like uh, horror movies. Yeah. You know, but in the uh, glorifying, I guess you could say, of that movie of halloween and kind of puts rob zombie kind of puts his twist on it you know i got you um so there's that uh but the um the chef knife stabber is popular in pop culture it is uh rebooted by uh in 2007 uh by like i was saying musician director and horror movie fan rob zombie now, as for the youngest serial killer on our list, who do we have down? Harvey Miguel Robinson. Uh, Harvey had a alcoholic father who would physically and emotionally abuse his mother to the point where she left. So he was left to uh, stay with his father. Uh, the father was later incarcerated for beating his mistress to death. Um, Robinson would rape and murder victims. Uh, there are three well-known ones, nothing, I mean, famous, just well-known victims. Um, he was convicted of first degree murder on all three accounts. Um, and his, uh, well, actually I should say this, he's still alive. Robinson is still alive. Uh, he is. Uh, he was. He was born in 1974, and he started killing at the age of 18. He went on a violent killing spree, killing three people, injuring two. Okay, he was convicted of all three of those. Uh, he is currently serving. He's supposed to be put to death, um, but as we can tell, uh, he was uh, convicted. I got to look this up now. 
He was convicted. He was apprehended in 1993. So he has literally been in prison now for what, 20 years? Yeah, that sounds about right. No, that's not right. 93. No, that's 30 years. Oh. <laughs> so he, he's sentenced to death, but he's been in prison for 30 years. Yeah, just on death row. Right. And uh, so anyway, uh, but he would kill with a large knife, just like Mr. Myers. Yeah. Myers, yeah. So. Yep. so Michael and him both were young. I mean, not six, but no, still, uh, still used, uh, both used a knife. And, uh, I mean, one thing's for sure. Michael Myers was known to be like demonic or big, like really big evil to where like mm. he would always come back and everything or he mm. couldn't be killed or whatnot. Right. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. So, and then, uh, and then, uh, the Robinson guy, you know, he, he's just, he's living life behind bars. Absolutely. Well, see, here's the thing, you know, as compared to others that are out there, uh, you know, uh, Robinson would have probably gotten away with more of it, but he got pulled over for a speeding ticket and, uh, then apprehended. Uh, Do you think it was because he like like we discussed earlier? Is it because he got sloppy, or is it no? I think he, I think that he was just a criminal because he started out with burglary, right? Right, and, that's and, then, how, and, and then it went to murder, right? And so it, it progressed, and it was um, where I don't know. He was just not brought up in in a good place, right? And I mean, if you look at the history or the origins of most serial killers is that they do do petty crimes. Oh, that's how they start. Yeah, that's how they start. And then it just evolves over time. Sure. Um, they also have rough childhoods. Correct. A lot of them. Correct. Um, so now we got a two for one. I'm, I must be. I got to stop touching my mic. I, I keep messing with it. Um so, but we got a two for one uh, special uh, horror movie characters for you. Uh, here is uh, starting off with Norman Bates. Uh, Norman Bates uh, is the main antagonist in Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 horror psycho. And here's a little clip from that movie. People always mean well. They cluck their thick tongues and shake their heads and suggest oh so very delicately. Of course, I've suggested it myself, but I hate to even think about it. She needs me. It's not as if she were a, a maniac. A raving thing. She just goes a little mad sometimes. We all go a little mad sometimes. Haven't you? All right. And uh, so Norman suffers from multiple personality disorder, or also known as MPD. 
At an early age, he endures emotional and physical abuse by his mother uh, named Norma. Um, and after he, he uh, let's see, after he goes, or I'm sorry, he goes on after her passing due to poisoning due, uh, done by Norman. Uh, he develops a second personality that resembles his mother in many ways. As for Jason Voorhees, he was not the first killer in the Friday the 13th in 1980. It was actually, spoiler alert, his overprotective mother. In the sequel, Jason would hear his mother's voice to kill. Let's just say both of these boys got some bad mommy issues. Who else got? Who else has bad mommy issues, Dad? Uh, that would be Miss uh, Ed Kemper. Ed is a uh, uh, a very interesting individual. Still alive, by the way. Uh, still, he's serving time at the California Medical Facility. Uh, Ed killed his grandparents at the age of 15. He was 15 when he did this. Um, and he also killed his mother. And in between, he killed uh, five, the, five other individuals. Uh, he's known as the co-ed killer because those five other individuals were college females. Um, the co-ed butcher because of what he did to them. Uh, Ogre of Aptos. I don't know how to say that. And Big Ed. Big Ed, uh, six foot nine inches tall, close to 380 pounds. Um, Pretty much sounds a big mamma jamma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, his is back to his early childhood also. And he was forced to go live with his grandparents. And uh, that then didn't turn out so well. And uh, he blamed his mother for it. So the mother was the last victim. And, and then that's when he stopped. Well, yeah, that's when he got caught. Um, Ed, Ed was a very is a very intelligent individual. Wasn't his IQ like very, very high? Yeah, like 150 something, 140 something, something uh, very, very high. Uh, he actually was smarter than his first psychologist. Uh, he basically talked the psychologist into uh, having him move to a different part of the facility he was in. And uh, I can't remember if he escaped or if he was let go by the, the psychologist giving a good recommendation or something somewhere in there. Um, but... Uh, he was, he would decapitate his victims. He would dismember them. He was into necrophilia, uh, especially in the case of his mother. Um, he normally killed with his bare hands, being six foot nine, almost 380 pounds. He was able to do that. And uh, yeah, so not a. And almost like his, I mean, like his mother, uh, like Norman Bates, Norman kept his mother's corpse down in the yeah. in his room and pretty much with uh egg kempner yeah you know he had like a trophy yeah. of, of her so All right but we're going to take another quick break and then we're going on to the man that everybody is afraid of when you go to sleep
whatever you do, don't fall asleep on this guy. Are you ready for Freddy? Hmm. I'll play a little clip of the little jingle that Freddy Krueger has children sing. So Freddy Krueger, it from 1984 to 2003, created by Wes Craven, basing the character's name from a childhood bully, Krueger has been haunting dreams and creating nightmares for his victims, killing them while they catch the Z's. Before he was born, his mother, Amanda, who was a nun working in a hospital, would end up being raped by 100 psychopaths, becoming pregnant with the son. Later in life, he becomes a child murderer, and in 1968, the parents of Springwood would burn him to death. After he rises from the ashes, he begins his terror in the dream world. Now, who do we have for Freddy Krueger's comparison? Well, you always say it better than I do, so I'm going to give the first name. You give the last name. Andre. Chikatilo. There it is. Andre is a... Russian. Russian individual. Um, so things, uh, serial killers, uh, people out there do not only happen in the United States. Um, and uh, Andre had a fixation not like freddy krueger he was into sexual assault freddy krueger uh, by the way that song yes we would sing it uh when i was a kid it was one of those things after the movie comes came out we would literally go around and we would start singing one two Freddy's coming for you, three, four. Yeah, we would do that. And uh, it was always cool on sleepovers and stuff to find somebody that was just about asleep. And then you'd look over and go, one, two, Freddy's <laughs> coming for you. So that was always kind of cool. Um, but Andre is not very cool, ladies and gentlemen. He was into the murdering of women and children. He would uh, take them and, well, giving you an idea, he was called the Butcher of Rostov, uh, the Red Ripper, if you will. Um, so he would uh, disembowel, disembowel and, and basically uh, dismember his victims. Um, and it's supposedly that he had over 52 victims in his lifetime. Uh, and uh, they're saying that in Russian time, uh, this took place for about, let's see, 12 years he was doing this. And so. this was all during uh, Cold War Russia, so during the Soviet Union. Yeah, from 1978 to 1990. So, so. and... Actually, quite interesting fact. He was actually a substitute teacher. Mm. Well, don't teacher. hold that against all of us. Right. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, he, whenever he felt uh, belittled or uh, uh, what was it, masculated or something like that, to where like he couldn't bring authority to his own classroom, and that would enrage him. And he, there were a couple occasions to where you know he would punish kids because they defied him and stuff like that and so uh he would end up being fired from teaching and he was i mean he was married had kids everything but he had this sick demon that was inside of him that uh wanted him to uh to kill well i I think it's actually more than that i think it's more of a fact where as a child, he didn't have much control. Being born in 1936, having to go through World War II, uh, not having money, not having food, going through famine, that kind of stuff. I think that because that's... Because of the Communist Party and everything. Well, no, but uh, yeah, but not really at that point in time. It was because Germany and, and all war efforts went into you know, taking care of the Germans in, in, in that uh, European conflict. Um, but... Uh, you know, he never had control. So how does he get control? Well, he has female and children as his victims. You know, the, yes, they'll fight, but in the end, a Russian uh, the size of of uh, Andre would win out. And um, it's sad, and a lot of, you know, thoughts go out to his victims. But... Uh, you know, he uh, he's not a not not a good person. And by the way, in the Soviet Union, just putting this out there for the people, he was sentenced to death, and uh, he was apprehended in 1990, and he was executed by a. I can't remember what this was. It was gunfire. I was so going to say a was, firing squad. I think I think it was a firing squad, but I'm not for certain on that one. Um, but uh, yeah, he uh, died in 1994. So unlike uh, our good buddy earlier, that's been in prison for 30 years and is supposed to be put to death in Russia, he was uh, apprehended on November 20th, 1990, and, and died in 94. So it only took four years. Correct. I'm sure there's not the appeals process in Russia that there is in the United States. Right. So. All right. Next. Everybody. Let's let's just be honest here. Nobody likes evil clowns. I know driving to my dad's house with my buddy, he saw a fake clown dancing outside uh, one of my dad's neighbor's yards. And he said, oh, why is that clown dancing? Why is that clown dancing? So, oh, I know which one he saw. Yeah. yeah. So he, you know, not many people like evil clowns and it makes sense. They may look creepy. There may be a horror film about them or there may be a serial killer based on upon them or maybe it's just childhood trauma. Who knows? Uh, but I can say I can prefer myself. I like my clowns packed in a small car. Uh, the evil clown appeared during the 19th century in such works as uh, Edgar Allan Poe's uh, Hop Frog. In 1988, killer clowns from outer space 
would be shown to audiences. The evil clown most uh, most people know of is a Stephen from Stephen King's 1985 novel It. In 1990, the It antagonist Pennywise, portrayed by Tim Curry, uh, in a miniseries, is uh, in, which is later played uh, in a in the film uh, from 2017 and 2019 by uh, Bill Skarsgård. Uh, but here's a little clip from the 1990 miniseries starring Tim Curry. Hi, Georgie. Aren't you going to say hello? Oh, come on, bucko. Don't you want a balloon? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. My dad said so. Very wise of your dad, Georgie. Very wise indeed. I, Georgie, am Pennywise the Dancing Clown. You are Georgie. So now we know each other. Key, right? I guess so. I gotta go. Go? Without this. My phone! Exactly. Go on, kiddo. Take it. Oh. You want it, don't you, Georgie? Oh, of course you do. And there's cotton candy and rides and all sorts of surprises down here. And balloons, too. All colors. Do they float? Oh, yes. They float, Georgie. They float. And when you're down here with me, you float, too! <laughs> There also has been another killer clown on the rise in horror films. Uh, first time seeing this uh, evil clown was in 2008, but it wasn't until 2016 uh, that people got a taste of this demonic clown known as Art the Clown from the movie Terrifier. Terrifier would end up becoming a sequel Uh being even more gory and actually being known as a horror movie that put people in um in hospitals due to heart attacks fainting uh just being a whole shock and awe of a movie and this may be a myth or not but i heard that they're going to be making a christmas movie with art the clown so that should be interesting uh but of course everybody knows of this killer clown um and he is not uh the kind of guy that anybody wants to be given a balloon and that would be who dad that would be john wayne gacy <clears throat> he was known as the killer clown he did exhibitions and things for money where he would entertain kids uh dressing up as a clown um and then uh, he would have a second life that would deal with um, apprehending, luring into his house young men uh, or boys. He would lure them in with showing them magic tricks or stuff like that, 
candy, perhaps. And then he would rape, torture, and then murder them, usually by strangulation. Uh, he was famous for using what's called a garrot. And uh, then he would uh, dispose of the bodies afterwards, uh, usually in the Des Plaines River, uh, which is in Iowa. And uh, I looking the number of victims, uh, 33 plus is what they knew. And several of them were found uh, under his house. Now, uh, the weapon of choice that you were describing, what is that? A garrot? Yeah. Garrot is a rope or wire that has two handles, and you slip it around someone's neck and you pull. And I believe from what different details is that he would handcuff his victims first and be like, all right, try and get out of these handcuffs. Correct. And meanwhile, they're struggling with the handcuffs. He would use the garrot and twist. Correct. After he twist. was. Yeah. And and it's it's unclear for the most part if he had sex with his victims before death or postmortem. Uh, but all of his uh, victims, he would have sexual experiences with and now his background wasn't too hot either because his father really um put him down for being kind of like what was known as a mama's boy oh absolutely and uh even his first marriage uh she was absolutely the dominant person in the relationship so how does gacy gain control he finds people that he can take over. Like young teens. Correct. And he <clears throat> overpowers them, lures them, overpowers them, and then kills them. That gives him that sense of the power that he hasn't had in his entire life. And he also would um, use that uh, narcissism, uh, narcissistic uh, attitude. Um you know, he was head of the what was called the JCs, which was a uh, big like uh, community kind of thing where right. young teens, young boy teens would go out and help the community. And, you know, pretty much 1960s America makes sense. Um, but I mean, also John Wayne Gacy's father was a war World War Two vet, which in some cases of serial killers, their parental like we were talking about earlier. Uh, with their parental uh, figures being very abusive, it was also mainly due to the PTSD of those soldiers. Correct? Yeah, absolutely. No, I was just looking at something I didn't know about. So with the JCs, what took place? Yeah, and so. yeah, and um, so for those that don't know the JCs, what do you got? Oh, that's just, it's an organization, but what happened at this meeting of the JCs, um, how they got him drunk and, and wanted to uh, then perform oral sex on him uh, while he was drunk. And JC, or not JC, uh, John Gacy was drunk or? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Because so. I, I could have sworn it was... Uh, it was what was it? He was a part of the JC's club, yeah. And the head of the JC, uh, 
I believe it was like his son or something like that, that John Wayne Gacy had had sexual relations with. And then the kid told his dad or something like that. Or was that when he was in politics? I I don't know. I can't find anything on that. That timeline is interesting. I just know it says here he had his second homosexual experience when he was with the JCs. That's probably then what I'm thinking of is probably the first time. Because yeah. that was also when he was working at uh, KFC because his wife's father got him that job. Right, because this says uh, 1965, uh, Gacy had risen to uh, vice president of the JCs. So, yep. yep. Yeah. And he also made JCs in jail. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. was interesting. So he must have really enjoyed the JCs of. Bluring different well, I, I I I don't know a lot about their organization, but I've heard some things about their organization, and they really do good things. It's just the fact that this nut job was one of them. It's almost like if you were to put John Wayne Gacy in like the Cub Scouts or something. Correct. Yeah. Which I watched a documentary about that, and that was interesting. Right. Uh, but uh, now we're going on to another one. Uh, this guy had doesn't really have his own film per se uh but he was a uh pretty much a major part and a iconic part in uh in a film but uh but we move on to uh Hannibal the Cannibal more like Dr. Hannibal Lecter created by author Thomas Harris in the 1981 novel Red Dragon Mainly played by award-winning actor Anthony Hopkins, the cannibalistic uh, forensic psychiatrist first appeared on the screen in 1991 in the film Silence of the Lambs. And here's the clip. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. People have asked who the inspiration of Hannibal Lecter could be. After doing some research, I found that it was a Mexican serial killer, Alfredo Trevino, who Mm. I guess was a cannibal. Mm. But the man that we're comparing him is none other than... This is no shocker to anyone out there. He is known as the Milwaukee Cannibal or the Milwaukee Monster, it is Jeffrey Dahmer. Jeffrey, uh, serial killed uh, from 1978 to 1991. But he did actually go on a break uh, somewhat in the 80s, but also going getting in trouble with uh, exposing himself in public and masturbation oh, in front of children. And- well, of course, he was a sexual pervert. Um he was also into necrophilia. He was also into cannibalism. Everything's been well documented on Netflix and alike. How he stored body parts in the refrigerator and so on and so forth. And it wasn't until the power went out from what the story I hear, the power went out that the body parts started to decompose, that they got the whiff of decaying flesh, that they went and checked his apartment and uh found what they found in in no short order and yeah it's uh 
But the interesting part with uh, Dahmer, his homicides were committed normally due to bludgeoning. Do you know what bludgeoning is, Matt? I do. What is bludgeoning? Bludgeoning is when you uh, hit a person Mm -hmm. uh, in the head with a heavy object. Well, yes. Uh, Causing severe skull and brain trauma to take place. And... uh, so that was his preferred method of killing things or people. Um, but his other part was he would have sex with his victims prior to, then he would kill, and then he'd have sex with them afterwards. Yes, Jeffrey Dahmer was a disturbed individual. Now, his background is actually quite interesting, too, because he grew up fairly normal. Yep. Both loving parents. Yep. But it is said that he turned like a switch flipped after his hernia surgery. Well, uh, as it says, uh, he had borderline personality disorder. He he also had schizophrenic personality disorder. Uh, That was and a psychotic disorder. This was all determined during his trial period of insanity yes he pleaded they, he wanted to plead insanity but they found that he was true to truly and totally legally sane to stand trial uh he was convicted of 15 of the 16 homicides he committed in wisconsin he was sentenced to 15 terms of imprisonment in 1992 and uh, later sentenced to a 16th term of life imprisonment and uh for what he did in Ohio. And in 1994, Dahmer was beaten to death by Christopher Scarver, a fellow inmate in Wisconsin. And he was at that point in time. So he uh, was apprehended in 91, served trial and on 90 in 94, he was beaten to death in prison. And the, I, Here's the irony. Irony. irony thank you. Mm-hmm. Irony of it is his first victim was mm-hmm. was killed with a um with a I believe it was a a bell bar or a, a barbell. Barbell. Thank you. Yeah. The barbell and Dahmer was killed with a barbell. Mm. Yeah. So the irony, as they say, karma's a bitch, and the things go round and round and round. Yeah. Um, next, we're going on to uh, everybody likes candy, but not uh, everybody likes this kind of guy. Uh, so, uh, so same legend as uh, Bloody Mary. If you say his name five times in the mirror, he will come for you. In 1985, Candyman originated. From a short story called The Forbidden by Clive Barker in 1992. Audience every, audiences everywhere would see the story of an African-American man who was brutally murdered for a forbidden 19th century interracial love affair, having his right hand cut off and a hook in its place, being smothered in honey, and being attacked by hundreds of bees. The movie would be rebooted in 2021. And the Candyman, with the same nickname, 
uh, is none other than who? Dean Corral. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Dean was interested in teenage boys, young adults. He was known for the as the Candyman because he would lure his victims in with the thoughts of parties or something like that. Once he got them inside, then he would take complete and utter uh, control of his victims. And trying to look up something real quick. I believe he uh, teamed up with uh, two teenagers and would have different, like you said, have different parties uh, and pretty much get a picking of the litter of whatever friends they brought supposedly to be sent to slaughter, I guess you could say. Yeah. 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 And see, here's the, the thing with this is he, he had over 28 victims that's confirmed. Um, and, uh, he, Oh, that, that's cool. Also known as the Pied Piper leading his victims around. Um, but, uh, he was basically killed while being apprehended. He was shot to death in the chest, so he didn't have to serve trial. He didn't have to go to prison at all. It was just done. Now, do you know who shot him? Uh, well, I probably could in a very, very short period of time. Because I could tell you. Oh, well, <laughs> it was the uh, one of the kids that he pretty much teamed up with, I guess you could say, right. or that he groomed and he. Uh, so why did he shoot him over jealousy or what? No, it was mainly over the fact that. I think it was like I'm trying to remember because I remember uh, listening to an episode about this guy. Um, I believe it was because an argument had had happened and hmm. it came to, I think, him getting shot and then finding out that, you know, he hmm. was sexually assaulting not only the guy that, uh, that shot him, hmm. but pretty much using him to have different kids lured to his grasp. Yeah. Well, here here's a fun fact that I should have looked up, but I didn't didn't do enough research. Uh, he's also known as the Candyman because his family owned a candy company, and I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 So, but we're gonna take one more quick break, and then we are going into the man that calls you and then kills you. Ring, ring. I got another killer on the line and created by Kevin Williamson based on the serial killer compared to this horror slasher after watching the news directed by famous horror movie director Wes Craven, who directed 
Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, in 1999, the killer terrorizes a girl and her friends using classic horror movie quirks. And here is a scene from the movie. Uh, hello? Why don't you want to talk to me? Who is this? You tell me your name, I'll tell you mine. <laughs> I don't think so. What's that noise? Popcorn. You're making popcorn? Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn at the movies. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Oh, just some scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs> Why? You want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? Um, no. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. What do you think I said? What? Hello? Look, I gotta go. Wait, I thought we were gonna go out. Uh, nah, I don't think so. Don't hang up on me. All right, and the uh, Ghostface kill slasher, uh, the background behind the iconic Ghostface mask, uh, it is originally uh, sold as fame uh, as Father Death costume. Uh, the mask was inspired by Evard Munch uh, painting the Scream. The movie franchise has had multiple sequels and even a reboot and TV series. And the guy that uh, was the inspiration for Ghostface is none other than Daniel Rowling. Daniel was born in Shreveport, Louisiana. Uh, he was born to a mother and father. Father was a police officer. Father would uh, beat him, his mother, and his brother often. Um, and uh, other unspeakable things like he would beat the dog. And Danny liked, loved this dog. And he beat the dog so often that one day after a beating, the dog died in Danny's arms. Um, other famous things that uh, took place with this is uh, he was born in Louisiana, and that's where in Shreveport is where he started. Then he moved over to Gainesville. Uh, and uh, his big thing, and this was something I investigated, uh, he claimed his motive was to be a superstar like Ted Bundy. So he absolutely wanted to be glorified and at the time that this was taking place ted bundy had already been executed for his crimes in florida and uh 
it, through this television process, he wanted to be famous like Ted. And uh, so he had uh, several victims. Uh, actually, uh, he did make him famous. He was on court TV, believe oh. it or not. Uh, but he was sentenced to death, and Rowling was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and paraphilia. Uh, so anyway, many, many psychological issues, but it all stems back to, again, his childhood. All right. Now we go on to, uh, I would say it's been a cult classic for especially college kids. I know this is uh, my brother JT's favorite uh, horror movie and uh, character, I would say, because of the the evolution of uh, psychotic kind of craze. But in 2000, award-winning actor Christian Bale takes on the role of Patrick Bateman in the psychological horror American Psycho based on the Brett Easton Ellis novel of the same name published in 1991. Patrick is a narcissist suffers and suffers from uh, schizophrenia. He uses his good looks and charm to manipulate his victims. He is emotionally numb, acting normal around uh, others, but having his psych. A psychopath inside uh he combines sex with violence all he wants to do is fit in and hide his true self in the darkness and here are a couple clips from the movie so what do you do i'm into uh well, murders and executions mostly do you like it well it depends why well most guys i know who work in mergers and acquisitions really don't like it. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Uh, <laughs> uh, great tan, Marcus. I mean, really impressive. Where do you tan? Salon. I've got a tanning bed at home. You should look into it. And, uh, uh Cecilia. How is she? Where is she tonight? Cecilia's, uh, well, you know, Cecilia. I think she's having dinner with, um, Evelyn Williams. Evelyn. Great ass. Goes out with that loser Patrick Bateman. What a dork. <laughs> Another martini, Paul. So, the guy that we compared to Patrick Bateman is also the guy that Daniel Rowling wanted to be like. And that is none other than Ted Bundy. Tell us a little bit about Ted, Ted. <laughs> Uh, Ted's an interest or was an interesting guy. Uh, he was uh, very intelligent. He was charismatic. He was good looking. He was, uh, uh, arrogant and narcissistic and belligerent. You name it. He was it. Uh, he was into killing young women. Um, he would, uh, lure them to different places and the thing about ted he started up in the northwest and then he was over into utah colorado he got arrested in utah imprisoned he escaped and then he headed down south and and his final victims were believed to be in florida um he was absolutely a hero 
to some because he was idolized. He was one of the first, and they didn't show the execution on TV, but they showed the videotape of the hearse pulling up to the back and and then the hearse pulling away and going down the road. It was a big carnival atmosphere. This thing was publicized for three days, news uh, crews and stuff outside the prison when he was executed by lethal injection. Um, he was, uh, yeah, just uh, really interesting. And uh, he would literally have again, sex with his victims. So he was, he was raping his victims. Um, he would lure them into a car uh, in one way, shape, or form. You know, oh, I just broke my arm. Oh, I, you know, you need a ride, that kind of stuff. And then he would dismember the body parts, some of them, and then spread them around wherever he was at into the wilderness. And uh, so, yeah, uh, Ted, Ted's... Uh, Famous, one of the most famous, I would probably say, but uh, still definitely not a good guy. Um, he was apprehended in 1975. Um, he confessed to 20, and then 30 he, more he confessed to, and he suspected for another 36 victims, but we'll never find those out. Uh, he was sentenced to two uh, death sentences in 1979 and 1980, and then finally executed um, in, uh, you have to look, I have to look, I have to look, when was that? Oh, 1989, yeah, January 24th, 1989. So, and one thing that I kind of got a comparison of was, um, they were both chameleons, Patrick Bateman and Ted Bundy. Oh, absolutely. They were, they were chameleons in their own. In their own community. In their own community, absolutely. Sure. They, they could charm uh, the necklace off, you know, somebody, and, and then the next thing you know, they've got their hands around your throat, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, there was, that was, yeah. I mean, he, he was so charismatic, and here's an interesting thing. He's. He went to the University of Washington. He has bachelor's there. He got married. He was married for six years. And uh, then uh, the, the, while that's going on, uh, he's also going out and, and killing individuals with his bare hands or with something else that he could get his hands on that would do the job. And uh, he also tried to escape, what was it, two times? Yeah, he was successful once. He escaped from the... It was either Colorado or Utah prison. Well, wasn't it... I believe he was successful both times, escaping-wise, because he jumped out the window, the two-story window, and that, I believe, was in Cal, uh, Colorado. And then the one, the other one, he escaped from uh, prison in a in his own cell by losing enough weight so that he could fit in this square uh, vent and then he escaped from there and and then he would I believe that's uh, then he went on to go to Florida State and uh, have that massacre if I'm correct Mm. yeah it says here uh, jumping out of the two story window that one was in Colorado 
Yep. And he went straight down the street. Now this is how this is how arrogant he is, right? He's just escaped and he's walking straight down the street in Main Street in Aspen. Not worried about getting caught. That's just total arrogance. It's the same way that he fired his defense team. Oh, yeah, and just And he's he like I can counsel. represent myself. Yeah. And what was interesting, he's so charismatic that the judge actually helped him out. Because sometimes when he was should object or something and and he wouldn't because he's not an attorney. Right. The judge would go, "Do you want an objection here?" "Yes, your honor, I want an objection here." You know. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> arrogant ass <laughs> and he and he loved the show he oh, really absolutely. did because there was this one time that where he was on videotape and he's like read me what i'm uh, convicted oh, for read, go on read read it to me i want to hear it well yeah we we actually in my forensic science class we looked at ted extensively and uh we brought that all up in his documentary or whatever it was on netflix and yeah. uh uh, I stopped the video and I go, why, why would he do that? And they're like, well, we don't know. We're not psychologists. We're not this. We're, we're high school students. And I said, why would he want them to read back? And I, they start wondering and I go, could it possibly be that he had forgot how many lies and things he had already said? So he wanted to read back to him so he could figure out what to do next. That's and they're like, oh. Yeah, I go, yeah, you get caught in that kind of stuff. And I said, even if you're brilliant, you still got to come back to it because you got to make sure every piece fits into the holes. Right. So that makes sense. All right. Now, last but not <laughs> least. I want to play a game. If you have seen the trailer to Saw 10 or seen it in theaters, you must have seen the nine films. The first film came out in 2004, and each sequel came out every year until Saw 3D in 2010. The idea, the idea for the first film came from a shower thought and a bathroom, according to, according to creator James Wan. The origin of the Jigsaw Killer, John, who is a former civil engineer dying from a frontal lobe tumor. After a suicide attempt, John discovers a new look on life and becomes obsessed with forcing people into deadly situations, which he refers to as tests or games, teaching them life lessons through unspeakable violence, killing some of them. And leaving the uh, survivors to tell his story. Now, with the capture and the pretty much the brutalization of being chained up like an animal, we have two serial killers. And what would those be? David Parker Ray and the man known as BTK, Dennis Rader. And what did uh, BTK do? BTK, well, first of all, you need to understand what the words BTK stand for. It means to blind, torture, kill. 
So he would manipulate his body's uh, victims, I guess I should say. He would blindfold them. He would torture them for enjoyment, and then he would finally kill them, kind of like a uh, a cat does with a mouse, except they're not blind. They'd, you know, do whatever you wanted and then kill them at the very end because you're basically done with them. And then in David... Uh, Parker Ray's situation, he would literally, he actually planned this out perfectly to his liking. He actually got a semi-truck and he soundproofed it. And that's where he would take his victims is to his semi-truck that is totally soundproofed. And then that's where the games would begin of torture, rape, and then kill. And so that's why both of these individuals fit in with the games because the games were how much pain can you tolerate before I kill you? Well, that does it for this Halloween special. Uh, definitely a interesting one, if I do say so myself. Will we do another one next Halloween? I don't know. But from my dad and from myself, we wish you a happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone.